hey, I am a goofy guy, so be forewarned, but I love the Lord, okay? So we're going to have a little bit of fun. It's okay to smile in church. Um, I want to just tell my side of the story. So we've been, we've lived in L.A. about a year now, my wife and I and our three boys, um, but I've just been praying. I'm like, Lord, I want, like, a relationship in this city with other faithful men who are who've planted churches and who have done more ministry than me. Um, and I, honestly, I thought, I'm like, I've heard, when, you know, when you move to a new city, it typically takes like 10 years, and then you have friends and are acclimated and whatnot. And God, by, in his grace and mercy, gave me a friend like your pastor really early on, right at the end. Yeah, you can clap for that. Um, I, I'll tell you this, there are very few pastors who reach out to church planters who are like nobody and say, hey, can I buy you some coffee and hear your story and encourage you? And you've got a pastor, and really what that speaks to is his character, that he cares about kingdom activity in the city, that the whole goal of your life is not just this specific church, but it's to align with God's movement in our city. Amen? And so him reaching out to me has just been incredibly encouraging. My wife and Becca and our families are getting together and becoming friends. And what's the best part about it is this. It's helping L.A. start to feel like home which is a big deal for us because we want L.A. to feel like home. I'm also—listen, I'm like the goofiest guy, and then I'll, like, cry about something. So, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little both-and today. I love the Lord if I tear up about His Word uh, be forewarned. But my wife is here, Kelly. We have three boys, Leo, Harvest, and Ezra. They're five, three, and one. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a crazy few years. Um, also, I've got to— uh, give a shout out. One of your family, it's the Cortezes, right? Did I say that right? What? No, no, no. Who came and helped us with childcare? I just asked their names, now I've already forgot. Contreras, that one, my bad. Hey, we did a Christmas concert, and we were small enough church that I wanted our volunteers to be able to experience it, and so you guys supplied us with the greatest family ever who came down. Yeah, so that's another way that your church has already been a blessing. Thank you guys so much for coming. Listen, they had to watch my kids, which is like watching little terrorists, so be careful. Um, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But here's, let me kind of frame what we're, what we're discussing before we, we read our text, which is, what does it mean to have a full and flourishing life? Like, what is the good life? Now, our culture will tell us 150 different ways to have a good life, and quite often the liturgy or, or the sermon that the world and culture is preaching is that the good life is about success, the good life is about money, the good life is about stature and fame, notoriety, how many properties you have. I, I don't know, you know, we were talking about Instagram earlier, but like if you just get on social media right now, it's like the— Every other post is like how to have the best 2024 ever, to accomplish more, to become more, to acquire more, to like the world is preaching to us all the time what it means to have a good life. You can get on your phone or just turn on a TV and, and you'll get that message. But what does God's word tell us is a good life? That's what John 15 is about. That's where we get our church name, the Abiding Church. And so this morning, we're just going to look at what it means to have an abiding life. Let me tell you one of my fears. Um, one, I've got, we have a very young church. Our church is like 20-somethings, most of the people in it. 
Um, and one of my fears as I'm kind of looking at, and I'm not one of those people who like hates on the generation below me. If you're one of those, that's fine. We love you guys, okay? Uh, but like, I, as I look at this generation, here's my fear for some of the young people that I see. It's that Jesus is just an enhancement to their life, not their life. They see Jesus as like, man, it's like, it's like a good app on your cell, or it's like your cell phone. It's like, yeah, this makes it better, but could you live without a cell phone? Of course you could. You could put it away and you'd live a very full and wonderful life. People of this younger generation, and I think people of all generations, can treat Jesus like just an enhancement, just something you can grab when you need it, when, when you're maybe when you're stressed or when, you know, when you're in struggle, like, oh, then I'll reach out to Jesus, but that he's not life itself. And John 15 actually to those people would say, you're wrong and you need correction, loving correction, because Jesus isn't just an enhancement to our life. Jesus is life. Jesus is life today. If you take away nothing else, I hope that you will just realize today that any true flourishing life comes through him. And we're going to see this more fully. The, the big idea of today is this. The big idea of today is this. The abiding life is more than just knowledge. It's a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with Jesus where his life produces fruit in and through our lives. And listen, I'm not one of those guys who's taking a jab at knowledge. Knowledge is certainly a part of our story, and we need knowledge. Knowledge is good, but sometimes people chalk up Christianity to be a knowledge game only. Jesus didn't come so you would know a lot of things. He came to transform your whole story and your whole life and your whole being to look like Him. He didn't just come so you would get a lot of head knowledge. He came so that your knowledge would get into your hands and you would love your neighbor really well and you would see the world and Los Angeles and La Crescenta change. Amen? And so we are looking at this idea of what does it mean to have an abiding life? And let's just look right at God's Word to do this. John 15, verses 1 through 11. Read it with me. I, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you were clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is Jesus speaking. Remember, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Lord, God, this isn't a, a TED Talk Sunday. We just want to understand your word. I've got not a lot to say worth value, Lord, but if we can grasp the reality of your eternal word today, not just grasp it, but Lord, digest it, let it get into our heads and our hearts and our hands, Lord, we, we will be setting ourselves up for a wonderful year of a flourishing life. So Lord, let us receive your word today with humble hearts and with thankful hearts. Speak now, Lord. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I've got three points today, and there should be a lot more than three to pull out of this, but we're just going to really pull out some of the main stuff here. And point one is this. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. And, and, and I think the question I want to ask, out of, I like asking questions out of our points because the point here is, is not to just understand the word, but it's to think and consider how do we take this word and align it up to our life and our story and treat it like a lens. If Jesus is the true vine, are you connected to the vine? So with each of my points, I want you to, to take some self-reflection, um, if not now, at least later, maybe write it down. But verse one, uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, he says it. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I had a professor in college, and uh, he was just one of those guys who just really, like he always had it out for the Christian worldview, for Christianity. Um, like I think at one point he's like, are there any Christians in the room? And he's just trying to kind of, you know, like, like discourage you. He's one of those just really strong-willed atheists. God love him. And I loved him too. But I remember one time he's like, Jesus never says, ever says that he is God in the Bible. Find me one spot in the Bible where Jesus says he's God, which is also a very popular like social media talking point at this moment. Jesus says it a lot. He says it a lot. And one of the ways that he says it is when he says, I am statements. In, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses came before God in the wilderness. This is the burning bush story, you know. And he comes up to, and he's experiencing God through a burning bush. And what does God call himself in that moment? God says, I am that I am. So anytime we see in the life of Jesus, him using the same words as God, I am the true vine. This is him right off the bat. This is a God claim. Jesus is the eternal Son of God put on flesh. What we're just celebrating in Christmas, these Christmas trees, like this is the story we're celebrating. This is a claim that He is God. Throughout His preaching and His teaching and His healing and His discipleship and His ministry, Jesus continually declared that He is God. In John chapter 10, a few chapters earlier, He gets even more concise and He says, this is a direct quote from Jesus, I and the Father are one. Jesus claimed to be God. He wasn't just a good teacher. He 100% claimed to be God in his ministry. We need to recognize that first and foremost. But really what he's saying here is, I am the true vine. Our illustration here is this vine, this, uh, th this vineyard. Uh, uh, all life 
comes through the vine. I don't know if you realize this, but grapes don't grow without a vine. Can I get an amen on that? Jesus is saying here, there is no true life without me in it. There is no true life. There is no true hope without me in it. This metaphor speaks of us being the branches and, uh, by, by which his life is pouring through. I just said his weird. He is, that was weird. By which his life is pouring through. We, he is the vine. We are the branches. His life pours through us. You know, Scripture is so interconnected. It just like, it's just tethered together. Old and New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 5, there's a song about a vineyard in which Israel is the vineyard. And despite all that God has given to the vineyard, Israel produces wild grapes. Wild grapes. Israel doesn't produce good fruit. They produce bad fruit. And so instead of justice and righteousness being the end of the story in Isaiah 5, there was actually bloodshed and outcry. There was was not good news in the story. And I think Jesus is even alluding back to this a little bit as he talks. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and you will bear good fruit if you're in me. Not bad fruit. Being the vine emphasizes this. If Jesus is the vine, it emphasizes a few things. You belong to him. If you were a Christian, he's not just an enhancement. You belong to him, and he's worth belonging to. You were dependent on him. If you tear off grapes from the vine, they wither and die. You're dependent on him. And it shows this that all life flows through him into us. The abiding life comes from somewhere. It comes from someone. It's not just as you accomplish the things you want to accomplish. It's not just as you gain more. It's not as you get a bigger following or a bit better career or more money. The abiding life, a life of hope and peace comes through the vine that is Jesus. So I think our question on point one, we're back to it. Are you connected to the vine? I'm not asking, do you know about the vine? Most of us know about the vine in this room. Most of us have heard the name of Jesus in here. I think the question I ask a church today is, are you actually connected to the vine? Is his life pouring into yours? And is your life starting to look more and more like his? Second thing we see is that, this is point number two, is that we are the branches— and then it's kind of a cap, uh, a second little part, and we will be pruned. I don't like that part. We are the branches, and we will be pruned. The question we would ask ourselves is, are you willing to be pruned? Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit. Why in the world? Wait, the good ones? that are bearing fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is like both good news because God is good and we can trust him, but it's also hard news. If you follow Christ, he will prune you to produce in you the best life you can live on this earth, a life that is given to him. Listen, grape growers, which are called 
Viticulturists, say that word three times, okay? They practice like 700, what, not really, I'm exaggerating, it's four ways, but there's like multiple ways of trimming grapes, orchards, vines, all that stuff. Okay, I'm no, I looked this up. I'm just learning this. That's why you can tell I just learned it. But listen, there's pinching to remove just the growths at the tip that are growing too fast. There's topping, which is to remove a foot or two of growth to just like rip a lot of it off. There's thinning. You actually take grapes off the cluster so that later it can have even more grapes. And there's just literally cutting the thing all the way back to where it's just a vine and letting it grow. Listen, the illustration is here is that God is this vine and we are the branches that are supposed to bear fruit. And just like someone who would actually do this in real life on an orchard or a vineyard or wherever, we require pruning for maximum potential and maximum growth in life. God doesn't just want us to know stuff. He wants us to become like Him. And in order to have us become like Him, He will prune us. Listen, God's pruned me a lot in my life. A lot. We could talk about it for a while, and I'd probably cry, shed a couple tears. I worked at a church. I'll just throw out one story. I worked at a church. I thought this church—I was like, I'm going to die here. This is my favorite place ever. Church with 300 staff. Like, it was big. It was cool. Um, I used to be, like, half as cool as Becca, like, singing and stuff. Um, and so I worked at this church, and I remember I started, like, God was working in my life, producing in me the desire to shepherd and pastor. And I kept going to the leadership and being, or a specific leader in the church and being like, hey, could I, like, I'll do, like, anything. Like, could I... Be a, have more leadership here. And, and, and there was basically just a closed door the whole time. Closed door and a closed door and a closed door and a closed door. And honestly, I would not be here today if what I wanted, which was an open door, opened. <laughs> God had a different plan for my life. And I am so thankful that even though I felt unseen and unworthy and am I not a good leader and all this stuff in my mid-20s of wanting to, to shepherd and pastor and like not a lot of people want to do that anymore. So I'm like, Lord, I, you're, I feel like you're calling me and you're stirring this. Why is this door closed? It felt painful. It felt, I felt unseen. I felt unheard. I felt unvalidated. I questioned calling. I thought I should just go sell cars. I thought all this stuff but God used a moment of pruning and refining to get me to do this. God, I will go anywhere in the world you would send me. Here I am, send me. I just want to give my life to you and let my story be used in your greater story, to let my life be laid down so that your glory and your gospel would go forth in a powerful way. God, I'll go anywhere. So it took pruning to get me to a voice uh, to get me to a position of just going, Lord, I'll lay it all down for you. Wherever you want to go, wherever you want to send me, I will go. My wife and I thought we were going to move to Thailand for a little. We were like, we'll go anywhere, anywhere you would have us. And then, you know, sure enough, a pastor like a week after we did that, praying together, my wife and I, pastor's like, hey, you should move me to LA and plant the church. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Sure. At first I was like, nah. And then, you know, the Lord spoke. He said, remember this? And so I'm, I'm just saying God will prune your story. 
you will experience pain that makes no sense. And as God works in your story, you'll stand at a later date and look back and say, thank you, Lord, that you knew what I needed in that moment. This will happen in your story. And anyone who's older than three knows this to be true. Can I get an amen from someone with gray hair this morning? Okay, amen. You know this to be true. I've got a couple, okay? I'm joining the club with all these kids. You know what I'm saying? Psalm 119 verse 71 says it this way. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. James 2, a scripture hopefully you know, says to count it all joy when you face hardship and trials because it's producing in you endurance for this long, long race we have called life until we get to be with the Savior. How does God prune us is one of the things I want to look, through, look at for just a moment. If we, if we know we're the branches and we know we'll, we will be pruned, what does pruning tangibly look like in your story? I'll, I'll just give you four ways. I think there's many more. But one of them is just through life itself. <laughs> like God will prune you through your story and through pain and through struggle and through financial struggle and through relationship collapse and, and, and all the ways. God will meet you in the mess and prune you to shape you into his image. One of the ways, and I just need an amen for this one, God will prune you as you submit yourself to his word. God will prune you as you read this word and eat it like bread, daily bread in your story. He will use this to shape and form you into a person of peace and a person that flourishes. He will prune you through prayer is the fourth. As you pray and ask him and cast your cares on him, he will pull you out of anxiety, out of fear, and he will make you more and more like him. Pruning can come in a lot of ways. But I just really want to emphasize the prayer and the scripture part. Because a lot of us Christians love coming to church, but then we're like, I don't really have time for you on Monday, Lord. But God will prune you as you submit your life to him through the word and through prayer. The question for us is, are you actually willing to be pruned? Or when you start to feel the downward turn of life, you just get angry. You just point up at him. Why? Or do you say, Lord, I trust you in every storm, and I'm willing to be pruned. I'm willing to learn right now, Lord. Like, isn't that like the dream we want for our kids? Is in an intense moment that we're like, don't you, I just wish my five-year-old look at me and be like, Daddy, I know I'm in trouble, and I'm willing to take the discipline. To, you know, like, that's like all I would want, right? Instead of like, you know, terrorism, okay? So, but like, that's what God wants from us is to go, God, I trust that you have what's best for me in mind and that life flows through you into me. And so, Lord, if a little pruning is what it takes to produce in me the best me that could be, one that's content, one that's hopeful, one that's peaceful, Lord, I welcome your pruning. Are you willing to be pruned? We are the branches and we will be pruned, so I hope you're willing. Point three is this. If you abide in Jesus, you will bear fruit. So th this isn't like a, some Christians bear fruit and some don't. This is like, if you want to vet your life as to actually, if you're actually saved, you just look at the fruit. 
Are you bearing fruit? Are you loving? Are you caring? Are you becoming like him in your actions? Let's look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you as a branch. Remember, we are the branches. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. There he's saying it again, that he's the vine, we're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. I don't really like this part, but listen. He says, apart from me, you can do a lot of things. Nope, no, no, no. Good, good catch. I like you. <clears throat> she said, nope, that's not what it says. She's about to throw her Bible at me. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If there's a message I'm really passionate about preaching to the younger generation right now, it's this one. You can do nothing without him. Nothing of true significance or value. But it goes on. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Let me, I'm going to actually just stop here. Let, let me just say this. Fruit... Like, bearing fruit is a lot less—I want to be really clear about this—a lot less about our performance, like, appearing some way on social media, or like, you get around a crowd, you're like, yeah, I'm going to be super loving, but then internally you're hateful. Bearing fruit is actually a lot less about outward performance and a lot more about inward transformation. Because then, any performance, anything outward is real— it's authentic. Then when we love our neighbor, it's not so that we can be seen by someone or so we can take a selfie. It's, it's because it's real and it's authentic and it's God's life flowing through us and love to our neighbor or our grandkids or our cousins or the people we just had to do Christmas with. You know what I'm saying? So, so fruit bearing is not like you better go help three people across the street this week. It's so much more about the internal transformation of your life that yields a result in your hands. I want to I wanna, to, to broaden this out a little bit because the Scripture goes on, and I want to just list the realities abiding, of abiding in Christ. And I think a lot of these are just the fruit themselves. Some of them are not. But just the realities abiding, of a, an abiding life in Christ in this text. Now, um, I'm going to read them, and then we're going to read back verses uh, 6 through 11. The realities of abiding in Christ are this. One, we've already seen this. You will bear fruit. I think there's a slide on the screen with this, too. You will bear fruit. You will experience answered prayers. You will bring glory to God the Father. Love will fill your life. You will keep God's commandments in that you will be an obedient son or daughter of the king, and you will have the joy of Christ. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the life that I want to live if I'm going to slap on myself the label of Christian. I'm so tired of casual Christians who, who, who they, they, they wave the flag of God and then their life looks nothing like him. Listen, we've got to change that. Christians have a bad rap in our city. I don't know if you know this, but I talk to a lot of people who are far from God who their first assumption is that I'm going to be rude and mean and hostile.
hostile to them. We've got to change that. And we don't change it with grit and determination. We change it with submission. That we would lay down our life and take on the life of Christ. Verse, let's look at verse 7 through 11 here. And we'll see these things I just listed. You will bear fruit. You will experience answered prayers. We'll see this in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that one I like. Can I get an amen? I'm like, Lord, I need a Tesla. I don't know. I need something. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's the caveat though. It's not just ask whatever you wish if you're a Christian. If you abide in him, if his life's pouring through you, your prayers will probably be less about things you're accumulating and more about people you need to love. And guess what? God loves those people and he'll probably put you on mission and send you straight to them and you'll get what you asked for, and that is their salvation, their coming to know Christ, them coming to the church function, them coming to church next week on the 7th. What, when we ask things according to God's will, guess what his answer most of the time is? Yes. He wants to say yes to you, but more often than not, we're asking things according to our will, according to our advancement, according to our kingdoms we're building. No, we need to ask things as we abide in Him according to His will. And you will be shocked at how much He will say yes to you in those things. Shocked. Answered prayers, verse 7, verse, verse 8. You see that you will bring glory to God the Father. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I don't know about you, but I want to bring glory to something beyond me in my life. I'm just not worth bringing a lot of glory to. But he is. Verse 9, you'll see that love will fill your life. As the Father has loved me, that's Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is some crazy stuff here. Probably a little bit more as we dig past the surface. We're talking about the love between God the Father and God the Son, not just remaining there and then we get some like shell of that love. No, we're talking about that love extended to you today in your story. The love of, of God, one God, Father and Son, Spirit, like one God, one essence, His love extending straight to us if we abide in Him. That's some good news today. Love will fill your life because you'll experience it, and in so experiencing, you'll be able to give it. You will be obedient. You will keep His commandments. Verse 10, this is the reality of abiding in Christ. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And then you'll have the joy of Christ. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that you will attend church more. I mean, I want to say that, but that's not what it says, right? I want to say that to my people. Um, these things I've spoken to you, he says, that, your, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many people—no, I like—this is a real question. I'm not just trying to be, like, ugly at, you know, humanity right now. How many people do you know that, like, actually are just, like, oozing with joy right now? Like, for real. You get around, you're like, man, they're a little too giddy. Like, they're—it's too much. I want to be one of those people 
Not because I want to be annoying, but because I want God's joy in my life to be so real and so tangible that it's just kind of pouring out wherever I go. I'm like the weird guy who took, you know, I'm from Tennessee. I might have even said y'all, so dead giveaway. Um, but I'm from Tennessee, and I, I say hello to people, but L.A. doesn't really do that, is what I've learned. And so I've decided, basically, the, the, the choices were change or not. And I was like, no, I'm going to say hi, y'all, to everyone. So I still say hi to people, and they act like I'm crazy, which is fine. But I, I do it because I care about people. Like, it's not some, like, fake hospitality thing. I, I love people. I want people to know that, especially around our church building and my part of town, I'm like, I'm, hi, I would love to know you. Like, there's joy in my life that's beyond my, like, mustering it up with an energy drink. There's joy in my life that's direct deposited from God himself through his life flowing through to the branch, to me, and then I'm bearing fruit about it. One of my favorite things that I hear is when people are like, your church is really friendly. Like, your guys are a small church, but man, people are so friendly here. I'm like, I'll take it. I want to be a friendly place where you can come and really belong, you know? The realities of abiding in Christ are that you will bear fruit, you will experience answered prayers, you will bring, bring glory to God the Father, love will fill your life, you will be obedient in that you will keep His commandments, and you will have the joy of Christ. That's the life that I want to encourage you to look towards in 2024. Not just to know, not just to understand, but to abide in Him and let his life abide and flow through you to your neighbors, your family, your kids, to people that are hard in life, to people that are easy in life, that you would be just a person who actually carries God's hope and love to people. Like sometimes we say that, and I'm not sure half of us believe it. Do you realize when you walk into a room, you are like God's ambassador in the room? This should, like, affect the way that we think and the way that we live and the way that we act. When you walked into Christmas with hard family or easy family or whatever, you had the opportunity to represent Christ really well. When you do New Year's Eve parties, you have the opportunity to display Christ in your story in any situation. It could just be to grandkids. It could just be to the singular neighbor. It could be to a large group. It doesn't matter how. What matters is, are you abiding enough that his life flows through you? That's the question I think you need to wrestle with today. Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches and we will be pruned. Press in when the pruning happens. Don't run from it. Press in. He knows what's best. And if you abide in Jesus, you will bear fruit. And these realities will fill your life. And back to our big idea. Abiding is so much more than knowledge. It's a moment by moment, hour by hour, second by second, relationship with Jesus where His life produces fruit in and through our lives. Uh, a pastor significantly smarter than me says, says this, the essence of the Christian life isn't our work for Christ but it's Christ's work in and through us. To abide in Him is to let His power and presence 
take precedence in every area of our life. One of my mentors right now, as I'm church planting, I'm trying to tell people every moment I get about Jesus, every time I talk to him, he says this, Trenton, God wants to do more in you than he wants to do through you. God wants to do more in you than he wants to do through you. And that's a, that can be a tough message for some of us to swallow, like myself, who's like, I'm like an accomplisher. I'm like a task, task guy who wants to like see something grow and see something succeed. And it's like, God wants me to abide more than he wants me to grow a big church. I'll tell you that. God wants you to abide more than he wants you just to succeed in life. This is his plan for your story, is abiding in him. Will you abide? Will you bear fruit? Are you willing to be pruned? These are the questions I hope you wrestle with today. I'm going to pray, and then Pastor David will come back up. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for just friendship. Thank you for this beautiful church, just 19 minutes up the road from us, Lord, that that has just opened their arms to us today and let us come and and uh, just in some ways just receive today, Lord, love. I've, just, I've gotten more smiles and hugs today than, than I have in, you know, a while. And I'm just, I'm, I'm full, Lord. I have your joy in me today, Lord. I'm thankful, God, that you move and that you work. May it be true of us that we're not people who know about you, but that we're a people who abide in you and that your life flows through us. Lord, this is our prayer as we look at another year. Work in and through us, Lord. We are your vessels. We are your children. We are your people. Thank you for this time. It's in your mighty name we pray. And the church said, amen.
we are encouraged about what, what God is doing there, what you are doing there, God, and that we are for them and we are praying for them. And we are praying with expectation that you will move in powerful ways. And so, Jesus, we thank you for Pastor Trent. We thank you for his message today and his encouragement that, uh, that we must be found in you, God, attached to you, that the only good life we can find this side of heaven is in relationship and connection to you, God. So remind us of that as we close out 2023. And God, just one more time, blessings over this family, blessings over this church in Jesus' name. And the God's people said, amen. amen. Can we just thank them for being here today? Y'all have an awesome Sunday. We'll see you next year. This will be the best year that is to come. We'll see you soon. See you next week, everyone.